Well, we serve a living Christ who did not stay in the grave, but rose again. And man, this living Christ, he said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So he is here today in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we, the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God is here, and I pray you came expected this morning, expecting to meet with the living God, the living Christ. Uh, our sermon text uh, this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, we'll be reading verses 12 through 31. As you turn in there, uh, this letter, 1 Corinthians, was written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was writing to a church that he had started in a place called Corinth, which was in Greece. And uh, we're only looking uh, at a, a little chunk of 1 Corinthians over the past few weeks. Uh, we're looking at a few chapters here. We're now in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll start reading in verse 12. Let's pray before we begin. Well, Father, as we turn to your scriptures again this morning, we would just ask for your help. That, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might understand your scriptures, comprehend your scriptures, be helped, uh, be fed by your word. Uh, Father, we trust you are the one who breathed these scriptures out for our eternal good. And we trust you are a good Father in and through Christ. And you delight to open the scriptures to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we would simply ask you to do that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it in any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Amen. I've been preaching uh, through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, just a little mini series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When, when you come to Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you, and this Holy Spirit now begins to empower you, begins to work in you different spiritual gifts. Uh, every Christian gifts are different, but all of us have spiritual gifts. And there's one thing that the Apostle Paul wants you to know uh, about your spiritual gifts. Something that Paul stresses throughout these chapters on the spiritual gifts, and here it is, Paul wants you to know that you belong. 
that you and your gifts, whatever they might be, you belong. If you're truly connected to Christ by faith, if Jesus is truly your master, then you belong in the body of Christ. No matter who you are, you have a full seat at the table, so to speak, with Christ and with Christ's people, no matter who you are. And whatever gifts the Holy Spirit might empower in you, well, your gifts belong a very necessary and vital part of the church. No matter what your gifts are, you belong in and through Christ Jesus. Doesn't that sound good to know that you belong? We all like to belong to things. And in Christ, you belong, all of you and all of your gifts. And listen, that would have been just so important for the Christians back in Corinth to hear because the Christians in Corinth, they had begun to elevate certain spiritual gifts above other spiritual gifts, especially the gift of tongues, which we looked at last week. Those who had the gift of tongues in Corinth, well, they were supposedly more superior than other believers. They were more spiritual, more important in the church. There was a full seat at the table for them, but those who did not possess that gift of tongues were supposedly inferior. They were insignificant, hardly a seat at the table at all for them. And there was now division in Corinth centering around the spiritual gifts. And so Paul in these chapters, he reminds all Christians everywhere that no matter what gifts of the Spirit you might possess, well, you and your gifts, they belong. That's the primary point of the passage that we just read. No matter what gifts you possess, you belong. And this passage, it breaks up pretty nicely into four different parts. And the first thing that Paul does here, part number one, is Paul gives a little thesis statement here. He, he gives his main point for all that follows in this passage. If you look again at verse 12, here's his thesis statement, his, his main point. He says, for just as the body, he's talking about the physical body you have, just as your physical body is one and has many members and all the members of that body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And, and you know, if we had to sum up Paul's thesis statement there in just a few words, we, we might say it like this. Here's his thesis statement, main point. We'll put it on the screen for you. The main point here, I think, would be the body of Christ consists of a unity in great (laughs) diversity. The body of Christ consists of a unity in diversity. And and Paul, he gives this illustration here of, of, of the human body. You just stop for a second and you think about your own physical body. Your body is just one body made up of lots of different parts. Many members, as Paul says, or many different limbs and and organs. You, You have fingers and toes and arms and legs. You have a head. You have a liver. You have a spleen, unless it's been taken out. All of them are part of your one body, and yet all of those things with very different functions, and all of them very necessary for a healthy body, unless you are maybe an appendix, and that may not be that necessary uh, for the body. Paul, Paul says that's the way it is with Christ, or with the body of Christ, the, the church. We are one body, but with many spiritual gifts, and all of those gifts with different functions, and all of those gifts very, very necessary for a healthy body. The body of Christ consists of a unity in diversity. And Paul then, after he gives us this thesis statement up in verse 12, well, he then emphasizes in the next two verses, first the unity and then the diversity of the body of Christ. First, the unity emphasized, if you look again at verse 13, He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And it's just this emphasis right off the bat 
on the unity. One, one, one. All of us, Paul says, who now trust in Christ as Savior and as Master, we have all, as Christians, now become partakers of the one Holy Spirit. All of us, all of us, the second we come to Christ, we have now been baptized or immersed in the one Spirit. All of us, Paul says, now drinking of this one Spirit. You may remember in John chapter 7, Jesus said that all who believe in him, out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. And as Christians, we have all now begun to drink of this one Holy Spirit, the living water within us. And Paul says we have all now been baptized into one body. All of us now. Vital parts or limbs or organs of the one and only body of Christ, the universal church around the globe. And notice what Paul says, verse 13. It's all ethnicities. Jew, Greek, slave, free, Mexican, Indian, uh, Caucasian, African, doesn't matter. In Christ, we are one. We are equal parts, a unity in the body of Christ. But Paul then emphasizes the diversity in the body. If you look at verse 14, he says, For the body... However, does not consist of just one member, just one kind of member, but of many. This one body, the church, just like your physical body, consists of many different limbs, organs, different spiritual gifts, and all of the spiritual gifts necessary for the health of the body. And that's, that's Paul's thesis, the main point for this entire passage. The body of Christ consists of a unity in diversity. And the next two parts of this text then, parts two and three, well, Paul now speaks to people in the body who might feel inferior in some way, and Paul then speaks to people in the body who might feel superior in some way. He speaks first here to Christians who might feel inferior or useless in the body of Christ. Those of you here today, you, you, you may feel that you don't have very spectacular uh, spiritual gifts. You, 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 you don't measure up. You're, you're not important. You don't have a part. You, you don't have a full seat, it feels, in the body of Christ. Well, Paul now says that you are very vital to the body of Christ. If you look again at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And you just pause and think about what Paul's given us here. It's basically a couple parts of your body that are now feeling inferior to other parts. Like, like they may not belong. Your foot is saying, well, I'm not a hand. And therefore, I don't really belong to this body. I'm not important anyway. I mean, look at me. I'm just a foot. I'm down in the mud all day long, gnarly toes. No one notices me. I don't smell all that nice, maybe. The hand does the cool stuff. I mean, the hand, everybody's walking. See, you're looking at my hands right now. The hand moves. People notice. The hand gets to turn and twist and, and, and grab and, and build and, and, and write. And man, the hand's got that cool thumb. It can grasp. I just have this, this stubby big toe. Just bang it on everything. And, and this pinky toe, what's that? It's, it's, it's worthless. I'm, I'm nothing to this body. Or your ear says... I'm not an eye, and not really that important in this body. Uh, I'm not an eye, just this fleshy thing hanging off the side of of the head. I'm not colorful, blue, or or green, or, or brown. People like to stare at the eye, but not the ear. Just these feelings of inferiority in parts of 
the body. And that's how it can go in the body of Christ. Parts of the body feeling inferior. Different spiritual gifts feeling inferior. I don't matter. I don't belong. No real part in the body of Christ. And listen, Paul was probably talking there to some Christians back in Corinth who felt inferior in that church in Corinth. Because the people in Corinth, they were enamored. They were in love with only certain spiritual gifts, especially that gift of tongues. And if you didn't have that gift of tongues back in Corinth, you probably felt inferior. You, you, you probably felt like you were not the great hands and eyes of the church. You, you were just the smelly feet, the floppy ears in, in the church. You, you didn't matter. You didn't belong. You didn't really have a part. And please hear me on this. It's the same in churches today. Enamored at times. Churches in love at times with only certain gifts. You know, a, a lot of churches, what they do is they will overemphasize the more extraordinary supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Like healings or miracles or, or prophecy or, or, or maybe they overemphasize just the, the teaching gift of the Spirit. Now, now those are the hands and eyes of the church, man. Those are the really, really cool gifts and, and those then with the more ordinary spiritual gifts like mercy, maybe, or giving, or helping. Or leadership, they just feel inferior. They're just the smelly feet, the floppy ears in the church. They're not really that useful. There's no real part in the body for them. There's not really a full seat at the table for them. And please hear me on this. It is offensive to Christ. It is offensive to Christ when modest, quiet, Hidden believers feel like second-class citizens, alienated outsiders because they don't have, quote-unquote, the right gifts. And Paul speaks to this feeling of inferiority here. He, he says that just because you are a foot or an ear in the body, maybe not as noticed within the body, that does not make you any less a part of the body because every part serves a vital role. Look at verse 17. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God Arrange the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? You, you know, your physical body, you just need all the parts. The hand for grasping, the foot for walking, the ear for hearing, the eye for seeing, the nose for smelling, stomach for processing food, the liver for filtering the blood, the heart for pumping the blood. Listen, you even need that goofy little pinky toe. And I know, because I googled it this week. <laughs> and it serves a very important function, this little toe. It gives you stability, propulsion when you walk. And if all the parts in the body, Paul says, if they were all just a single member, or if they were all just exactly the same, the exact same type of gift, or in your physical body, if all the parts of your body were all the same, just toenails or something like that, where does the body go then, Paul says? That's a monstrosity. It's not a body looking out just at a bunch of toenails on a Sunday morning. That's nasty. I would probably have to get a new church at that point. We need all the parts of the physical body. And listen, the same goes for the body of Christ. We need all 
of the different spiritual gifts in the body. If the entire body just spoke in tongues like they wanted in Corinth, where's the mercy? Where's the helping? Where's the giving? Where's, where's the leadership? Where's the, where's the prophecy? We need all of the gifts, Paul is saying. And verse 18 says, it is God who ultimately arranges the gifts in the body as he chooses. God sovereignly placing here in our church all of the different gifts that we need. And here's the thing. We need you to be you. We need you to be the you that God created you to be. If you have a particular gift of mercy, then be merciful, Paul says in Romans 12. If you have the gift of teaching, then teach. But if you have the gift of mercy, don't try to be something other than you are. If your foot, don't try to be a hand, and vice versa. Be who you are. So those of you may feel inferior in some way. I don't know. You feel your gifts are not spectacular. You don't have a part. Please hear this. You belong. You and your gifts. You have a full seat at the table with Christ and his people. And then as we move down into the third part of what Paul does here, Paul now turns around and he addresses the other side of that proverbial coin. He now speaks a word to those Christians who might feel superior or elitist in some way in the body. If you look at verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So, Now catch what's going on. So now a couple parts in your body just feeling a little bit superior to the other parts. Before, it was parts of the body saying, you don't need me, inferiority. But now it's parts of the body saying, I don't need you. Superiority, elitism, self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. We don't need you. And now it's the eye talking to the hand. And notice here with Paul, it's the higher elevation body part speaking to a lower elevation body part. The eye talking to the hand, the head talking to the feet, saying, we don't need you. We don't need your spiritual gifts in in this body. We have the most important gifts. You are worthless. I mean, look at me, I'm the head. Everybody looks at me. You're just a foot. Nobody looks at you unless you stink, and then they will. And Paul was probably talking now to the other Christians there in Corinth. Those who thought their spiritual gifts made them superior. Especially back then if they had that gift of tongues. This elitism, looking down on others. This kind of smug, boasting, self-sufficient, self-righteousness. I don't need you which also happens in many churches today people with certain gifts of the spirit viewing themselves as somehow better on top more spiritual and everyone else you're just the dirty feet we don't really need you And it may be in churches today kind of like Corinth. It's the people today who supposedly speak in tongues looking down on those who don't. Or those with the gift of teaching maybe. They see themselves only as important. Or those with a prophetic gift. Or the Spirit has maybe worked a healing through them in some way. Wow, look at me. I am the head here. I'm the important part in this body. Glad I'm not you with Just your gift of giving or helping don't really need you. And Paul now speaks to that side of the coin. He speaks to the superiority. If you look at verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And so on. And Paul, as he's thinking here about the physical body, he's probably thinking there of the, the body's internal organs. They, they seem weaker, 
Paul says, or they're less honorable, they're, they're less attractive, uh, I'm sure. All these hidden and internal parts that we don't think about that often. I mean, how often do you think about your liver? How often do you think about your intestine? The only time you think about your intestine is when it hurts in the middle of the night for some reason. And then you remember, oh yeah, I have an intestine. You think about your face every day when you look in the mirror. And yeah, it's getting worse every day. Yep, that's the way it works. Man, these inferior organs in the body, seemingly inferior But all these internal organs, well, Paul says, they are indispensable. You cannot do without them. Now listen, we think a lot more about our hair, but you can function without your hair and I'm proof. But a body without intestines or liver, that body will not function indispensable and that's the way it is with the body of christ you take the gift of mercy out of a church you take the gift of helping or generosity out of the church and you have disemboweled the church you've taken out the intestines the the liver essential organs and here's the thing God honors those hidden gifts. Highly honors them. You know, those gifts in the church that, that might lack some honor from people, God makes up for it. He gives more honor to those gifts to balance things out. If you look again at verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen, you might not like to be the intestines in the body of Christ. Okay, you're hidden. People don't notice you until you hurt, and then they notice you. They may not see you all the time, Quiet, unnoticed, hidden, maybe more ordinary looking spiritual gifts in you. Not much honor maybe in this world. Please hear me. God sees you. God sees you. And God bestows more honor on those gifts that lack it. So that we all receive honor either from other believers or directly from god himself when we don't get honor from other believers god will make it up and here's the thing because god honors the weaker gifts in our body we should learn to do that as well that's god's heart to honor the unseen hidden spiritual gifts in our body the the parts that typically lack honor d.a carson he says this God's intent is to honor what others dishonor. Applied to the church, it becomes our collective responsibility to honor gifts given little thought or prominence. And why does God do this? Why why does God give more honor to these parts that lack it? Well, verse 25, that there might be no division in the body but that all the members in the body might have the same care paul says for one another that we might learn to care for and to value and to esteem all of the spiritual gifts in in our body god gives honor to those who lack honor so that there's no division so in the body of christ because all the spiritual gifts are vital And because God gives more honor to those who lack it, and because God has sovereignly arranged all the spiritual gifts in our body, there should be no inferiority or superiority. No division whatsoever over the gifts, the haves and the have-nots. We should never have that in, in our body. 
So that's Paul's thesis now. The body of Christ consists of a, a unity and diversity. Paul then has now spoken to both sides of this coin, to those who might feel inferior, to those who might feel superior. And Paul ends now with part four here, just a a little conclusion to his argument. Paul just starts hammering home now the great importance of diversity in the body of Christ. And that's how God has designed the church, sovereignly appointed that everyone would have different spiritual gifts. If you look again at verse 27, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And please hear this. The clear answer with all those questions there is no. With the particular Greek that Paul used there, it is clear that he expected a firm negative after all those questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. And on and on and on. Now, God has sovereignly appointed, Paul says, that some within the church would serve in those ways, but no Christian does all of those things. And you know, you just pause and you glance at that list of things we just read right there, different things that God has appointed within his church. We see a couple things there that we haven't yet talked about in this series. Let me just point them out and say just a quick word about each of them. One is that word apostles. God has appointed in his church that some would be apostles. If you look again at verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles. The apostles were the 12 disciples, plus a couple of other men. Paul, Barnabas, James, the brother of Jesus, and possibly one or two more. 15 or 16 men maybe in total. Those were the apostles. Listen, there were two very clear qualifications for being an apostle. One, they had to be an eyewitness of Christ himself. They had to have seen Jesus in person. And most importantly, they had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection. Because the apostles were going to be sent out to preach about Christ and his resurrection. And second qualification to be an apostle, they had to be personally commissioned by Christ himself as apostles. Jesus personally appointing them to go out as his official representatives. And those apostles, I've been preaching, I push pause on it, but I've been preaching through the book of Acts. We're seeing the apostles there. And those apostles had a unique authority from Christ. They had an authority to, to, to found and to govern the early church. Those apostles were the ones who ultimately gave us the New Testament scriptures, like 1 Corinthians, here from the Apostle Paul. And in the church today, the apostolic scriptures that those men gave to us, well, those scriptures are now our apostolic authority. Wayne Grudem, he says this, In place of living apostles present in the church today to teach and govern it, we have instead the writings of the apostles in the books of the New Testament. Those New Testament scriptures fulfill for the church today the absolutely authoritative teaching and governing functions which were fulfilled by the apostles themselves during the early years of the church. Instead of those apostolic men, we now have the apostolic New Testament scriptures. Now, pause for a second, because some people today will still occasionally use that word apostle to describe different people. Now, 
many people, when they use the word apostle today, they're using that word apostle in kind of a secondary sense. They're, they're talking about some effective church planter or some effective evangelist who might go out into a new area and start new works, kind of like the apostles did back then. And people now today might say, well, they have kind of this apostolic sort of gifting. And, and listen, the New Testament does at times use the word apostle in a sort of secondary sense, not talking about the original apostles like Paul, but referring just to someone sent out to a new area. And people today will then occasionally use the word apostle in that same sense, just kind of saying someone is an effective church planner, evangelist, something like that. Uh, people will sometimes today talk about a, a, the, the capital A apostles or the original apostles back then, and today they'll talk about smaller a apostles uh, who just have kind of an apostolic gifting or something like that. And I get what people mean when they say that, uh, but it does seem a bit confusing uh, when people talk like that. And I get a little nervous when people start calling themselves apostles. Uh, some um, will use that word in a second dairy sense, I'm sure, but others, I'm not quite so sure. And you've seen on billboards at times, the apostle so-and-so, and it just makes you a little bit nervous. Are you saying you're just a church planter or an effective evangelist, or are you saying you saw Jesus in person last night? The post-resurrection Jesus, and now you now have authority to write scripture. So a little confusing, and it seems like it would be safer to leave that word apostle just with those original apostles, and let's just call you a church planner or an effective evangelist or something like that. Uh, Wayne Grudem says this. He says, though some may use the word apostle in English today to refer to very effective church planners or evangelists, this seems inappropriate and unhelpful to do so, for it simply confuses people who read the New Testament and see the high authority that is attributed to the office of apostle there. It is noteworthy that no major leader in the history of the church, no major leader in the history of the church, not Athanasius or Augustine, not Luther or Calvin, not Wesley or Whitfield, has taken to himself the title of apostle or let himself be called an apostle. If any in modern times want to take the title apostle to themselves, they immediately raise the suspicion that they may be motivated by inappropriate pride and desires for self-exaltation along with excessive ambition and a desire for much more authority in the church than any one person should rightly have. So just as a church, we'll reserve that word apostle for the original apostles, and we'll call you a church planter or an effective evangelist or whatever else you might be. But let's save that title uh, for those men back there. So that's the word apostle, verse 28. And Paul says that God sovereignly appointed some men back then, like Paul, to be apostles in the church. Church, not necessarily a spiritual gift. Apostleship was more of an official position or office. That's how Paul treats the word apostle in 1 Corinthians, more of an official position or office. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, strictly speaking, to be an apostle was an office and not a gift. But the point that Paul was making right here was that God had appointed some in the church and not all to serve as apostles. And then another word here that we've not yet covered in this series is the word teachers. If you look again at verse 28, Paul says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And teaching is a spiritual gift. In Romans 12, Paul calls teaching very specifically a spiritual gift. And it's a, I think, a pretty self-explanatory gift, the gift of teaching or the teachers that God has appointed within his church. You just have this Holy Spirit ability to expound or to explain the meaning and the moral implications of the Word of God. These scriptures, 
passed down to us by the apostles, uh, the apostolic tradition, which is the scriptures they wrote in the New Testament plus the Old Testament. These scriptures, when you have that gift of teaching, the Holy Spirit enables you to interpret and to explain them to other people in clear ways. Now, some people teach and think they have the gift of teaching and it's just like muddy water. And you're like, you probably have not found your gift yet. Keep looking. But others who can expound the word clearly may have that Holy Spirit gift of teaching, just a vitally important gift in the body of Christ. And two final spiritual gifts here that we've not seen yet in these chapters are helping and administrating. If you look at the middle of verse 28, Paul says, and God has appointed in the church, dot, 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 gifts of healing, helping, and administrating. Just pause. Think of that spiritual gift of helping. Now I think we're getting to a gift that is many times overlooked in the body of Christ. Many with the gift of of helping feel inferior in the body of Christ. And they're made to feel inferior in the body body of Christ. That gift of helping, think of some kind of support. You, you, You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be just a really great support person, a helper, an assistant, which is actually a really cool thing because in the Bible, even God calls himself a helper, one who helps other people. So those with the gift of healing, you are manifesting a part of God's own character. Now, the person with this gift of of helping, this person might not be the leader in the church, But listen, the leader stands on this person's shoulders, this person unnoticed, at at times unseen, not a lot of honor maybe in the body, but that leader could not function without you. And I will say publicly, my beautiful wife, Molly, I believe has that spiritual gift of helping in spades. She is one of the most helpful people I have ever met. One of the reasons I married her, and I think she's cut from that cloth, because I think you can find that in her parents as well, if you know them. This gift, amazing, special gift of helping, often unnoticed in the church, and God lavishes honor upon that gift. I would not be half the leader I am without this woman supporting and helping me. But, th- but this gift of helping, it, it doesn't just mean that you help a leader of some sort. You're just a helper for all kinds of people. You just can't help but help people. You're empowered by the Spirit to recognize and to minister to the physical and spiritual needs of other people. You just know how to support people in really, really great ways. Again, I would say my wife Molly, I think one of her strongest gifts, this gift of helping, helping other people. And the other gift Paul mentions there then that we've not covered yet is administrating. The Holy Spirit gift of administrating. And now it, now it refers to some type of guidance. Now we're looking at a little bit more of a leadership gifting. The Greek word here for administrating, it could refer to the pilot of a ship. Steering, guiding a, a ship. The Holy Spirit empowering you to Give some type of guidance, helping you to to steer maybe just uh, one person or to steer a group or a company or to steer a church or an organization. You can formulate strategies. You give humble direction and counsel. A, A leadership gift, leading or guiding in some way. I think in our elder council, we have many, many of our men. I can look across the room and just say there's a gift there, I believe, of administrating um, in our elder council. So there's a couple things we've not yet covered um, here in this series. And I just want you to pause for some second. I want you to notice with this list of, of different things that Paul has given us here uh, that he appears to rank these things in some way. 
Now, not all the way through the list, maybe, but the first few things here. If you look at verse 28 one more time, Paul says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, and so on. So it it seems at least the first three have been ranked in in some way. And Paul does in these chapters, he does see some gifts as higher than other gifts. But we have to be very, very careful with that because it's not that certain gifts are higher for Paul because they somehow make you more important or because they somehow make you superior to other Christians. No, Paul considers certain gifts higher if they can impact a greater number of people within the church because all the gifts have been given, as we've seen earlier in this series, for the common good of the church. So those gifts that can impact more people, Paul would call them higher gifts. Doesn't make you a better person or a better Christian. It just means it can impact more people. That's the reason in chapter 14 why, why Paul says prophecy is greater than tongues unless tongues is interpreted. Because prophecy can edify the entire church. But tongues, if it's not interpreted, it just edifies the speaker himself or herself. And that's probably how Paul ranked these things in this list. At least the first few. Because apostles or prophets and, and teachers that can impact the entire church. The apostles have impacted the church all around the world for 2,000 years. And, and people today with the gift of prophecy, with the gift of teaching, can also impact the entire church. So Paul ranks them here. I think that's maybe why he did it. I do want you to notice, however, what he says at the end of this chapter. If you look at verse 31, but earnestly desire, Paul says, the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Having a spiritual gift that can impact more people in the church, a higher type of gift that does not make you more important or superior to other believers. No, the other gifts are indispensable, Paul says. Can't do without them. But the higher gifts that impact more people for the common good of the entire church, Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And and please notice, That's an apostolic command from the Apostle Paul. Please catch that. He doesn't tell you to be hesitant concerning the spiritual gifts. He doesn't tell you to be open to the gifts, but cautious. No, Paul commands us there to earnestly desire the higher gifts. That would impact more people. And we've talked about that before. The Greek word there is zelao. Paul's commanding you there to strive for or to exert yourself earnestly for or to desire the higher gifts. Pause. By the way, that implies very clearly that Christians can and should desire additional spiritual gifts. You have certain gifts, great. Now, earnestly desire the higher gifts, more Holy Spirit gifts. So let's do it as a church. Let's pray for more gifts and gifts that would impact a greater portion of the church for the common good of our church. And then if you do receive some of the higher gifts, just make sure you don't boast. (laughs) Make sure you don't boast because they're all gifts of God's grace, sovereignly given to his people as he so chooses. So there's just no grounds for boasting or division in the church on the gifts of the Spirit. So that's kind of the conclusion Paul has given us here. And the overall point there with the conclusion is just Paul hammering home again the great importance of diversity in the body of Christ. Do all have this gift? No. Do all have this gift? No. Do all have this gift? No. Some do, but all don't. The diversity is necessary. It is good. It is beautiful in the eyes of God. You know what that means? You know, Christian, what God is saying to you here? He's saying that you belong. Whoever you are, whatever gifts you've been given, you belong. Jesus died to pay the full penalty for your sin and If you now trust in Christ, 
simple childlike faith. You're following him as your master. You belong. You have a full seat at the table with Christ and his people. There are no partial seats for anybody. You have a full seat. And all of you belongs. Jesus doesn't just accept part of you at the table. No, he accepts all of you. Good, bad, and the ugly. The brokenness, he takes it all. He loves you. You have a seat, a place at his table. And whatever gifts you've been given, your gifts belong. They belong in the body of Christ. You have a beautiful place in Christ's body. Every part of you. Christ says to you now, I see you. I know you. And though you might be hidden right now from other men and women, though you might not receive honor now, I will honor you. So man, may God be pleased to give us all kinds of spiritual gifts here. May we learn to honor those gifts that don't typically receive honor. May we recognize that God is the one who sovereignly apportions all the gifts. May we just give thanks to him. And may God be pleased to lead us as a local church. And may you, may you come to enjoy your very particular seat at the table in the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for your love for us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in Christ. We thank you for all uh, of the differences in the body of Christ, all the manifold gifts, the varieties of gifts you've given. We thank you, Father, that you are a good heavenly Father who sees all of your people. You see all that your people do. You will not overlook just one drink of water that your people give out in the name of Christ. You see it, you will honor it, you will reward it, you are good. We thank you for the gifts you've given us in this body. We would ask for more of them. I would pray right now for those who don't see their gifts or feel they don't have many spectacular gifts, Lord, that you would encourage them right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. You'd help them begin to see some of the particular ways that you've gifted them. If they're married, I pray, Father, you would prompt their spouse to see the gift and to speak into it. Do you know that you do this really, really well? Do you think that might be a spiritual gift? Father, I do pray that those who feel neglected, overlooked, inferior, like just the feet, the floppy ears in the, in the body, Father, you would encourage their hearts today by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would show them their part. You would encourage them, give them assurance that they belong, that you are not finished with them, that you've already worked through them, and you will continue to do so. Father, encourage them. And Father, may we all as a church just continue to earnestly desire more gifts and more of the higher gifts, whatever gifts you would give us that would bless um, more of the church. Father, give us a heart to earnestly desire and pray for um, more of the spiritual gifts. Father, we thank you that you work intimately in and through your people. You indwell us by your Spirit. Father, help us to be expectant, to know that you lead, and to look for you to lead in and through the gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for our unity and our great diversity for your glory and our good. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.